Do I do the hello and welcome to... I can do it if you want. Well, I don't know which... Are we swapping or are we I just... don't know. I think I did it last time, but then... Okay. Know, my then. memory's fallible, so... I can go for it then. I don't really like doing it, you see. Do you not? It feels really unnatural. It does, doesn't it? I don't know why. I think it... Is it because nobody's here? If I, if I was actually talking to someone, then I would say hello, wouldn't I? I would be like, oh, hi, everyone. It's the anticipation of hopefully there being an audience. So. <laughs> <laughs> hello, if anybody is out there. <laughs> Okay, so what's this podcast called? Chats over coffee with my yoga teacher. And I am the yoga teacher. And uh, I am the student slash stand-up comedian as well. Yeah, enjoy. Do we say our names? (laughs) Oh, Kayla. My name is Kayla. And and mine's Peter. Anyway, this podcast is going out in March, right? Yeah. So have you got anything going on at the beginning of March that you want to tell people about? No. (laughs) Just... (laughs) I am busy. I am busy. Check website for tour dates kind of thing. I'm doing a couple of gigs for the RAF, actually. That's interesting, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Any uh, fire squadrons that are listening, then uh, get yourself down to RAF Cranwell or RAF Cosford. I'm going to have to set myself a target to do something more exciting. Yeah, so that you have something to tell people about. So I can be like, oh, I am actually doing this bungee jump. (laughs) What are you doing, March? So, my... Balance Your Digestion group coaching course, I'm actually going to close the doors for it in March. So by the end of March, if you've not signed up, you've, you've missed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it's not going to start till May, I've decided I'm going to give myself a, some time to put the course together bespoke for the people who have signed up. So if you're interested, you sign up by the end of March. We'll have lots of discussions in April and then we'll actually start it in May. So that's exciting. And you've got your regular classes and all that stuff as well. So. And yes, I have all my regular yoga classes online and in person. And I will be starting a new class as well in person. I'm afraid it is a private. It's at an apartment complex in Leeds called The Junction. So if you happen to be at The Junction, then you can come. But it is a private class for the residents there. So if you're not from there, then you can't come. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, there's a, what, a 0.05% chance that that was a relevant message to somebody then <laughs> so, and uh, obviously contact to both got websites and contact via there or instagram and that's all linked below so do that yeah okay so here's a joke i wrote that i don't think it's going to work on stage so i went on some training recently right to learn how to do resuscitation but i went and it was just loads and loads of stuff about how great whales and the ocean and water is. Turns out it was actually a CPR course. <laughs> that wasn't too bad. That wasn't yeah, too bad. That's a C-S-E-A-P-R yep. course. Yeah. Yeah. I think it works. I don't think it does. Maybe, maybe but... <laughs> a dad joke. It's a bit of a dad joke, maybe. You know what I mean? I mean sometimes <laughs> I write stupid jokes. Because I have another one here. I hate the letter N. Okay. Because it always has to be at the centre of attention. That's okay. naff, in it? That's naff. <laughs> <laughs> that works better written, I think. Who, who, do you, who do you sell Christmas cracker jokes to? Maybe you should list all of these up and send them off to that person. Do you remember the adverts for the 118 guys that you used to ring up the directory to get a number for Oh, anybody? yeah. And there was these two irritating guys in running yeah. gear that had moustaches. When that started up, there was an advert going out for silly one-line jokes because they were doing a thing where you could text joke to that number mm-hmm. and then they would send you a joke. So they just needed loads of jokes. 
loads of those kind of like yeah, quick one-liney so those stupid kind of jokes, jokes yeah. not, not necessarily Christmas. So I did sell. I think I sold one to them. Oh, did they want more or? No, did... I sent loads, but they only wanted one. Oh right, okay, <laughs> so, okay. And that was um, what do you call a monkey covered in egg whites? What? A orangutan. <laughs> That's really cute. I like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know if I'm that allowed to good. say that or whether I've just signed the rights away. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I read a book, didn't I? Yes. God, so long though. I started it and any time I mentioned that I was reading this book to someone and how difficult it was, everyone was just like, why would you put yourself through it? And I sort of thought, <laughs> well, why do anything difficult? I mean, you know. True. Why run a marathon? It's not easy, is it? But things can be worthwhile it's when something's like like i read the second book by joseph heller in about july you know wrote catch 22 and Mm. that's like a masterpiece and stuff but uh i'd never read the second book and like it's not that well thought of and i thought well you know it must be all right and uh i thought it was really boring and Mm. i didn't really enjoy it and that was 500 pages and took a while and i did feel like it wasn't probably wasn't really worth it but I was actually getting something out of that philosophy book. And what what did you read then? So I read Iris Murdoch's philosophy book called Metaphysics as a Guide to Morals. Firstly, it was written as if I was an intelligent person, which is very difficult. <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not it's just... uh, necessarily, but it's the language is somewhat academic in such a way that I think it presupposed that I knew a little bit more about Kierkegaard and Kant than I actually did. Is, mm. it, is it Kant or Kant? I have no idea. I, I was going to ask you what you were saying. You're just saying random words now. They're names <laughs> of philosophers, right? So yeah. So it was. Just, I assume there were names. <laughs> it's just an exploration of starting from Plato, really going up to some postmodern bloke. Uh, what's his name? Derrida, Jacques Derrida, and uh, I don't know. I would do it such an injustice talking about all the themes, really. Mm. to be honest i don't really know what the word metaphysics means i kind of think Mm. i know what it means but to me it's like something that is sort of an intangible middle place between thought and well that's actually really good according to what google's telling me okay what does google say (laughs) google says uh metaphysics is the branch of philosophy that studies the fundamental nature of reality the first principles of being identity and change space and time causality Necessity and possibility. Okay. Yeah, obviously it goes on a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. In a nutshell. Yeah. In a nutshell. <laughs> In like a wiki nutshell. The fundamental nature of reality. That kind of makes sense. So there's a thing that she keeps mentioning it about Plato saying that things are derived. He doesn't call it a god, but he says things are derived from this higher sort of idea of the good and that we mm. can all kind of. The more knowledge that we get makes us more, almost as if we're saying the more rational that we get, the closer that we come to the good. So it's very, I don't know if it, that gets sort of supplanted, I guess, by Christian ideas and, and stuff, because the good mm. gets replaced by God and stuff, I suppose. But, but I think Iris Murdoch's kind of exploring well, what happens now that we live in a society where we're quite secular and we remove that thing and then we become quite yeah. scientific and then does anything replace that in our heads like do we start feeling religious about other things but will we be getting rid of throwing the baby out with the bathwater type thing getting rid of a lot of these ideals because we don't feel like they 
mean anything but then also do we actually genuinely do feel things like love and all that stuff like that Mm. you know is is on a layer that isn't necessarily a scientific layer in some respects so it's kind of exploring all that really so was the book talking about like ethics as in like how you treat like other people and things like that or did it it, was it a bit higher up than that even um well (laughs) you know like that kind of was it like a like a moral rightness or correctness you know talking about like specific actions i think she was being romantic in terms of like wanting to look back at old-fashioned ideas of what is good and not losing that almost nostalgic yes yeah yeah i think so she was trying to like drag us back to it and almost like she was having a go at a lot of postmodern thought and actually art as an extension of, of, of thought because yeah. a lot of the ideas of postmodern art is to try and well recreate what human beings are in some respects and she yeah. was kind of scared by that I think. I've always thought that like when you talk about like ethics and morals and stuff like that it's it's about like maybe like a deep-rooted sense of respect or something maybe if that's a way of thinking about it like you know rather than it being specifically related to maybe individual actions you know saying like um you know when someone does this they are bad it could be more like well in this scenario that action would be bad but in this scenario that action is absolutely fine you know so it's hard to like be specific because well, like there lying, would be you mean potentially lying that's usually a, a one that people bring up but even other things like um having multiple partners you know if you're if you're you know that way inclined and everybody's uh, knows about it then in that situation it's fine if you're you know not that you know if someone else doesn't know about it you're keeping secrets you're lying then in that situation is bad you know so it's like you know there's lots of kind of morals behind it that could potentially be right in some situations and wrong in others where you could say like in a religion it's all bad always constantly you know there would be no okayness you know no uh sex outside of marriage for instance or something like that whereas like in a more secular thing you could say like well there's scenarios where it would be okay and scenarios where it wouldn't but but it all stems back from that idea of like respect right or or love even or Mm. kindness something like that maybe if you were like going to write the bible for someone to follow and stuff you wouldn't put so many caveats in would you as to how people were supposed to you wouldn't go oh well in this circumstance it's like it's a general Mm. it's a general rule isn't it you do you can't say oh yeah but for the polyamorous it's all right (laughs) yeah 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 it's interesting to think about whether there's a like inherent morality to like a lot of human behavior like i know there is an altruistic nature to humans obviously like it's uncomfortable to watch another human being yeah. suffer isn't it we don't want them to so we would alleviate that why did that happen in the focus altruism is not something that happens in every single species is it yeah like if you're saying like if that makes us special or whatever why so is that why an evolutionary thing is it actually like better to work together and so the people yeah. that felt like they wanted to work together because they're upset and it's like an evolutionary trait yeah most likely i think that's what most kind of like psychology kind of scientists would have probably agree with that that we we are communal species that would sort of account for a lot of moral behavior so when you get like a religious code like do unto others and such that is a Mm. humans would feel do kind of in general feel that way anyway unless you're a psychopath but then i suppose you're talking about something that's um very obvious or very physical whereas like we could be very manipulative and just like not almost like you almost think like there's um 
you know, like a victimless crime or something like that, you know, almost like where it's like, well, this is going to get me to the top. And yeah, okay, maybe a couple people will get a little bit stepped on, but it's not too bad, you know, and, and it's all like, especially in this day and age, it's not in your face. You know, it's not like, oh, for me to become chief, I have to kill this guy or something. It's, it's not that obvious, you know, it's not that emotional anymore. So I think maybe in that way, religions go a bit broader so that you can cover more <laughs> more scenarios <laughs> maybe but i thought it was interesting i wanted to i did just a little bit of a search just on morals and ethics i mean like teeny teeny oh, yeah. tiny search but one thing that i came across which i thought was quite interesting was the idea of it of ethics being governed by a sense of shame which i hadn't really thought about but i suppose it's like if you feel shame then that tells you you've done something wrong but I've never really... Why do you feel shame know. then? Well, like, because you've killed someone or something. I don't know. If you didn't think you would be judged by for that, would you feel shame for it? Or yeah, you, I think so. Yeah? I think so. I think you would no still one was feel ever bad know coming back to it. that altruism. You know, coming back to that. If you wanted an affair, right, and no one would ever know about it and no one would ever get hurt, mm. would you feel bad about doing it? Is the thing... That's worse is the fact that you hurt someone if they found out. What did your book say? <laughs> <laughs> Iris Murdoch had loads of affairs. In fact, she, her husband, oh. her husband, she pretty much never slept with, really. And he would just like, he, he said that he found sex an absurd, ridiculous thing. And she would just like go off with a load of other people all the time. So was that so, an agreed thing then? Because I think so, yeah. I think it was weird. A, I think it was an agreed <laughs> thing. Yeah, so. All right, well. Kind of strange. Do as I say, not as I do. Sort of. Well, she wasn't saying. Mm-hmm. Well, she wasn't necessarily championing monogamy in, in any um, sense. But but I do I have heard like yeah. some recently about how you know monogamous societies tend to be much more successful ones than other ones, like ones with harems and stuff like that. I think I think a lot of the problem is um, with like the non monogamy or, or like you know having polyamorous lots of lots of uh, partners or whatever it's just if you are talking about a lineage and the woman was having multiple partners there's no way especially back in the day maybe nowadays obviously but not back in the day of telling whose child the baby is so unless you had a matriarchal society it would be very bad uh, because you wouldn't be able to figure out whose child it was. Um, so a lot of the time, those kind of like... We've got Jeremy Kyle stay... now, though, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, I just mean actually, like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what I just mean is like, it seems really like sexist against women, like, because at the time, you know, men could do something and they wouldn't necessarily be done for it, but women would be very, you know, could be even imprisoned and things if you go back far enough for having multiple relationships, especially if they were in a marriage or something like that. But I think I think it stems from a very practical point of view because obviously the woman is the one that has the child. So there's no way of no there's you know, if you know you've only been with one person, then you know whose baby it is. <laughs> well that's a that's a thing that there's a obviously a spectrum of behaviours in this, but I've I've been reading like a woman that talks about sexual difference and stuff. And she was, there's a general, like like some women do like like having multiple partners and stuff, but that's generally mm. something that men like more than women like. And a lot mm. of that would be because, you know, women become more selective over their sexual partners because they know that they're the ones that have to bear a child if there is a result to that. Whereas men can just be like... yeah. Go and impregnate. Like, I think, doesn't Elon Musk want to impregnate as many people as possible? I'm sure I've heard that. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> it's 
obviously there's a spectrum of behaviors but it's more mm. it's usually men that want to have like more and more sexual partners and variety of sexual partners and variety of women mm. usually it doesn't mean women don't like sex or that some women <laughs> are interested in that but definitely i could see that playing at least a part in it one measure of data that sort of backs up some of those things is that they now analyze a lot of dating app data so they basically know like how interested like obviously men will have lower standards than <laughs> you know they're just like, they go for anything but women are generally more selective but yeah i think i thought the um the idea of talking about shame was was an interesting take on it like feeling shame for when you do something bad like when you hurt people or something like that and that's your guide but why do you feel that though and why do you just like yeah but why do you like people you know you're saying that kind of altruism based yeah. on evolution is that just not the is it just not the opposite you know in a sense the opposite feeling I, I've, I've read in several places that gossip which we think of as quite a malicious thing to do a lot of the time is something that's also something we've evolved to do because mm. if you're in tribes of I think we were traditionally in like tribes of like 50 people or something yeah gossip was a useful way of like weeding out who the person you can't trust is because oh did you hear so and so don't don't give your nuts to them and all that sort of thing <laughs> yeah I mean, that occurred potentially in those sorts of situations is not an immoral thing, but we don't tend to think of gossip as being a virtue, do we? Not normally. But then, like, you're talking about stuff that's so old, because obviously, like, in yoga philosophy... We made it. Yay! <laughs> so, like, in yoga philosophy, obviously, they cover certain morals or ethics or whatever you kind of label you want to call them. At the very least, you, you can talk about it in the yamas. So you've got your non-harming, your truthfulness, so like, don't hurt anyone, don't lie. <laughs> it's almost like the Ten Commandments. You know, non-stealing, yeah. don't take what isn't yours. What uh, a new one that you don't really find in the you know, more Christian side is the right use of the energy. So brahmacharya, and potentially you could you could link that to sexual energy. And then a parigraha, which is like non-hoarding or you know non-attachment. You know, trying not to be so attached to possessions and things. And but I do think like those things are five thousand years old. So surely the world was different when those kind of like little guidelines were, were laid out. Which... 10,000 years is since agriculture, isn't it? That sounds about right. And, and that is that is the big social shift, isn't it? From moving from tribal yeah. societies into these larger ones. And it goes back to the Hobbesian idea of like life in tribes. The Hobbes idea is life in tribes back then was nasty, brutish and short. That's the, what you said. So when, so, so when societies like... like had someone in charge of larger areas because you've got agriculture you can trade you've got these bigger societies you need mm. you need rules and the hierarchy and punishment to keep things in in control and so yeah. those rules and religious rules and like laws are all mm. kind of similar things it's just obviously like i suppose if ostensibly it's less political like to have religious rules rather than ones coming from the guy in charge yeah because you know? then he can just be like oh it's not me yeah. and obviously there's an overlap obviously because people <laughs> use religion in those situations but yeah bigger societies need rules otherwise it's chaos because we're all we've all got a line of good and evil in us and you need mm. to be deterred from the negative things that you might do if you could get away with it and incentivized mm. to do the nice things we're know that we can err because to err is the human that that I, w I would agree with that yeah i think that would make sense because i think the other thing as well is like when people do do something that's like wrong we would say wrong you know like murder or something if we didn't have these rules 
then it would spiral because you would feel justified in your response, in your feelings, in your actions that you would take out of that, you know, like, I would say, like, maybe Old Testament style, ah, he killed your brother, well, you can kill him and his brother, I don't know, you know, that (laughs) kind of thing, it's, like, ridiculous, so, like, obviously, with, you know, in this day and age, having someone like, you know, the police or something like that actually come in, reprimand, make sure, you know, crimes were committed in the way that we think they were, you know, things like that, all, all the judicial process that we've put together now as a society, it stops the spiral out of control. It stops you from taking your own personal vengeance, if you want to call it that, or action or whatever, depending on how bad the action is, you know. If you know that someone's done something that's illegal, you won't just do the illegal thing back at them. <laughs> you'll you'll take it to the appropriate authority so that person can be can be reprimanded or punished or whatever in theory all in theory (laughs) Uh, and then potentially that stops you know anarchy in a sense have you ever seen stuff about the second world war when things just become kind of lawless you see the chaos Mm. that ensues then and like the malign activity of men like soldiers that have free reign of areas and stuff then yeah you see that's that that sort of thing I'm a Hobbes guy, I think. I'm on Team Hobbes rather than Team Rousseau, in the very simplistic viewing of, of it anyway. <laughs> there was used to be a podcast I used to listen to called Talking Politics, which I thought was used to be really, really good, and they've stopped doing it now. Mm. But they did a talk on the history of I- of political ideas, and so they did one on Hobbes and one on Rousseau, and they kind of like used them as like two counter sort of... Like a lot of conservatives quite like Hobbes because he's sort of like, you know, we need laws and we're imperfect and we need to deterrence and incentives okay. and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of people yeah. on the left like Rousseau because Rousseau has this idea of, oh, well, before societies, uh, we were just like free and easy and like loved each other on the land and stuff. And then societies <laughs> came along and they're the evil things and we need to free the individual. And okay. uh, I think that is woefully naive, but... Yes. Okay, um, I'm glad we agree on that. <laughs> but... <laughs> But I'm more left wing than right wing, so like what the, I think anyway. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Everyone's changing the goalposts as to what it means to be left and right wing these days. It doesn't mean anything half the time. But I may have strawmanned uh, Rousseau's arguments there. But one thing I did find interesting is when in that lecture series they were talking about how Hobbes's idea of mankind is kind of uh, quite negative in some ways because it's sort of like oh well we're quite bad and we need to be sort of given rules and controlled because we're you know we've got negative instincts and he actually was supposed to be a very very nice man yeah and we so it's always like oh at heart we're like um we need to be freed and have our individual goodness come out and blah 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 blah. and apparently he was like a bit of a dick and a philanderer well there you go so So he wanted to be free so he could be a dick there we go exactly yeah (laughs) i think it's very much a crossover with a lot of left-wing blokes that pretend to be feminists these days because they want to get their end away Mm. (laughs) i think Uh, i do i do have one one more thought on this kind of topic do you think that like ethics and morals include non-humans I listened to a, a podcast with Martha Nussbaum the other day talking about this very thing and about how we have a like a, a human-centric view of of the world in terms of the way we treat other animals. Obviously, obviously we do. Yeah, we wouldn't yeah farm to some extent that, that's natural. To see yeah. ourselves as the ones that are in charge of, of it and stuff. But uh, mm. you mean the treatment of animals rather than the way animals treat Not each other? Not just animals, anything. Uh, okay. Like plants are alive. You know, the Earth ecosystems. I mean, now we can look at it from a scientific point of view and go, you know, don't do that because, you know, we need that to to live. But like from like an ethics or moral point of view, do we feel any sort of 
shame or remorse for the removal of ancient woodlands or ancient trees. You're not just like killing a chicken because you want some chicken to eat, but like more than that, you know. So here's what I would sort of, why I would think that we think the way we, we do. So we used to, and obviously people still do it, but mm. we used to other more humans that weren't like us than we do now. We noticed the differences and used to separate. Is that what you mean? Sort of. So instead of having a common humanity for when we colonised Africa and stuff and and the uh, South American like tribes and stuff, we didn't mm. see them as equal to us on a level that no. we thought that they were as you know not maybe dignified as humans. They weren't. We thought we were better yeah. humans than them. Okay. Yeah. And you were so yeah. as a general trend, we've widened the circle of empathy with human beings as time's gone on i would think in that we yeah, would not i would agree yeah that makes sense i would agree think that, with that so much now and that that circle has also probably covers animals that we co-evolved alongside like domesticated animals as well mm. and maybe the great apes because maybe we sort of see that they're intelligent and similar to mm. us somewhat and maybe dolphins and elephants and like really rich evolved primates and stuff. And not primates, mammals. Mm-mm. I think it comes down to like if we saw an elephant suffering or something, we would feel bad. But we might not feel as bad if we saw a wasp suffering. I think that comes back to maybe a little bit of, you know, you were saying about increasing knowledge potentially could increase your moral compass or something like that you said it better but uh <laughs> i don't usually say it better i don't think but <laughs> <laughs> but i think maybe you touched a, touched, touched a point there because if you knew what it looked like for a wasp to be suffering like if you knew what it looked like for like you know they've done studies on the bees who have been in insecticides and they get sick and they do this weird thing where they do this weird move they walk around in a weird circle and then they kind of look confused and dazed but you wouldn't know that if Mm -hmm. no one told you you would just be like oh there's a bee walking around like you wouldn't think about it but like maybe if we the more we increase our knowledge the more we can see that they're suffering and then we know that it's a sign of suffering like maybe because it's not the way we would show it we can't immediately feel it but once you increase your knowledge there's a chance that once you recognize suffering you would feel bad but i guess the thing with bees as well is that i would not kill a bee in the house because i know that the bees are in trouble and so you know i'd feel bad about killing one so again, it's a, sorry, sorry, that's a, a way of increasing knowledge in a sense, but yeah, I suppose that's more it from is, a but it's not global a, point of view rather than an individual. It's not because of the <laughs> suffering. Stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's not from the suffering of that bee. If I'm going to yeah. kill it, it's just going to be whack, gone. I mean, that's the way I want to go. <laughs> just... <laughs> what a giant alien with a fly swatter. Whack, exactly, gone. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Splat. <laughs> I know they say when you spray insects, that's a really horrible way for an insect to die isn't it so i guess maybe it would be quiet sort of but it's again it's still it's just harder to feel the empathy with the suffering of things that are much less like us but what i'm saying is like even if they really really don't look like us would the knowledge bring that feeling if someone said when they wiggle their legs like this and do three taps they're in so much pain they think they're gonna die they're warning other bugs to stay away would any empathy kind of show itself 
if if someone explained it to you like that you know what i mean I just, it just is harder to put mm. yourself in that place isn't it really i think yeah yeah i know like insects have such short lifespans as well that probably doesn't help yeah, maybe they not, do yeah. only live for a few days and things like that some insects don't live very long at all so that could potentially i mean you said plants earlier i mean it must be it's, it's harder to put yourself in that place as well i mean you, the concept yeah. of a plant suffering is very like that's just so alien yeah to, but then uh, yeah it's a weird one isn't it because obviously yeah because i suppose like other things they won't be suffering in a sense in the more traditional sense like we would because they don't have the same kind of nervous system and network and brain and things that we have so they won't be suffering in the way we would describe it but they but all plants know when they've been damaged and react accordingly but like we said before when we were talking about consciousness that's probably more a chemical reaction based on exposure to oxygen and stuff in the air rather than like a, a conscious choice to protect the damaged area but then if you add more and more knowledge to your life about the effects or you know even just something as simple as knowing that if you remove that tree you will never be able to replace it and even your grandchildren will struggle to replace it because it will take you know 200 years to put that ancient tree back and so maybe that could in a sense is enough to bring about a sense of almost like loss rather than suffering. It's almost as if Plato was right about the more knowledge you have, the closer you get to the good. Maybe. 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 Well, I'm not sure we've found the, the perfect society. It might be a bit <laughs> nice, but uh, it's a bit destructive. We're on a path to disaster. There yeah, we go. <laughs> what, because of Brexit? <laughs> yes, yes, just because of Brexit. <laughs> so it's a hard one because I don't feel like... I feel like our our society of consumerism was never going to be okay. The way we our business models of, of literally perpetual growth forever. It's never going to... Like, why would... Why would you even think that would work? <laughs> Not when we're global, you know. I found out that the phrase late stage capitalism is like so old. And people What's use that? it. Sorry? What, what, is that? what does that mean? What's well, that? people often say, oh, we're in late stage capitalism as if like, you know, it's going to end. I don't know if it's a Marxist phrase or, or not, but it's, right. uh, it's used as a phrase to sort of talk about how, you know, this it's not sustainable and the model has to change or, or something. Yeah, yeah. But people have been using that phrase for like 100 years or something. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So yeah. capitalism often finds a way to uh, renew itself and stuff. I mean, mm. I'm not like a fan of consumerism really or anything, but yeah. um, the reason that it works is because it is like clocked into human beings want to provide and ingenuity and the engine of yeah. that that so that we want to incentivize human ingenuity into a society and capitalism does do that to some degree but i think the problem is is just a few bad decisions that we're struggling to let go of or something like that, you might say. Or, mm. you know, like, for example, like the idea of just, you know, chain fashion and clothes. The way, you know, like if you go back a couple hundred years, women would have three or four dresses, you know, and that would be it. And you don't need any more. And unless something like really important came up and you needed a new dress, a king's ball or something, like you just <laughs> wouldn't. You just wouldn't get a new dress. You would just have what you have. And people would recognize you based on your clothes because you would be wearing the same dress 
every other day mm. <laughs> and you would have multiple layers so the outer dress is the dirty one but maybe you have you know skirts and shifts and all this i mean i'm just saying like the fashion was built around it you know the fashion was built around having one and then some layers and you know maybe two uh, fancy one for sunday and uh, you know <laughs> a not so fancy one for the rest of the week or for working in or something like that but even if we don't go that specific with things the fashion industry does market and capitalize on people's desire to be to fit in to look good to blah blah you know so you know especially beauty marketing creams makeup you know it's all like the marketing side of it is a little bit dodgy that the objects themselves aren't necessarily bad but the idea that you have to get a new jacket every winter because you're not going to be in fashion if you don't or something sounds ridiculous so i would say that i agree with that and Mm. i would say that i'm not waving the flag for capitalism here but I'm saying that <laughs> capitalism works because it harnesses aspects of human beings that allow us to create and build and progress and stuff and it's, you know, whatever. Mm. But it also preys on negative things within the human yeah. psyche as well to justify yeah. the business model. Because I feel like in terms of like, I don't know, let's just say use the coat as an example. Maybe you could get a coat that would last you 10 years or 20 years even or well, something like that. Well, I do. Like I don't buy new coats yeah. all the time. I mean, I... Just, yeah, yeah, I think I think my coat's at least 14 years old because I, I bought it when I first moved over here. Yeah, mine's 15 so it's at years least old, old. So what are you going to do yeah. about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. But I mean, like, if, for instance, we were actually still progressing in, I don't know, the technology of coats, you might be really <laughs> tempted to buy a new coat that is better, that is actually mm. warmer or lighter or better for your life, you know. So, and then that way you'd be like, well, what do I do with my old coat? There's nothing wrong with it, but this one is better. So I, I definitely get the idea of progression like as an incentive I think for phones are the worst thing for that aren't they just like a new one every year isn't it? and you just think oh, yeah man, yeah i always think like phones are always like sitting on new technology they, they, they know what the one after and the one after is going to be already probably before they bring out yeah the, so you think well, you could yeah. just bring well, out a lot the, i feel like i don't know if you think this but i feel like a lot of things within the last like say five years have been gimmicks rather than actual like hardware improvements if that makes sense it's more just like, ah, oh, this phone has this really good micro camera. Look how good I can take a picture of this ant. It's like, what? Is that a, is that a thing? If you Do did, you that? might have more empathy for ants, though. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's <laughs> so, it. Maybe so. I just, I need that. <laughs> it's a funny balance. It's a funny balance. Because I think you're right. It does kind of bring about a sense of like wanting to improve, wanting to grow. And, and consumerism does kind of allow for that to happen, I suppose. It's all about finding that balance. Yeah, it's mm. difficult, isn't it? Because I guess it's just uh, let off the leash, isn't it? To a degree, mm. people are free to just buy as many coats as they want. So why wouldn't they? Well, they shouldn't because, you know, we come back to um, uh, a graha non-attachment. Don't buy a million coats. But that's why okay. you need the rules in there because yeah. um, it, because otherwise people could do what they want. So people And then you need the... <laughs> and then we go back to Plato's knowledge because you need the knowledge... To be yeah. able to make appropriate decisions. If you know that your coat is, you know, plastic and it, as soon as you let it go, it's going to go into a landfill and just sit there forever, then mm. maybe your decision will change and you won't buy a coat every year. You'll buy a coat every 15 years or 20 years. And you can spend all your money going to yoga classes or coffee yeah. nights. <laughs> yeah, who wants a coat when you can do yoga instead? <laughs> A non-consumable consumerism? Is that, is that, can you say that? (laughs) 
So we say thanks for listening now? Yeah, thank you. It is nice to know that people listen. I have had a few, a few people come up, you know, not come up to me, but come up to me virtually. Is that how, Can you say that? And say that, yeah. Oh, good. Well, no one's telling me that, but I mean, so... I'm sorry, no one's telling you that. <laughs> but then you're probably the one that people would interact with more, I think, on the front yeah. of you. You're offering things, whereas I'm just like carting myself around the country for 20 minutes in like more and more obscure places. So why is anybody going to get... If someone came up to you on stage and was like, can I just interrupt you for a minute? I just want to tell you how much I like your podcast. It would be a little weird. That has weird. happened. That has happened <gasps> when I've got off stage. That has not happened. Oh, okay. No one shouts it out on stage. No. No, one's, no one's like, okay. <laughs> hey, you're the guy. <laughs> so, oh, well, I'm glad that someone has been in touch then. When you watch a new podcast, do you only listen to the most recent one? My, my experience of looking at it is that people listen to the most recent one or the oldest one. Oh. And then I think if they like it, they dip in a bit. Or go backwards. Yeah. So if you've only listened to this one, there's loads. They're all relevant. Just nothing's... Yeah. It's not a political show. So like everything's seemingly relevant until they uh, bring out scientific knowledge to show that all of your stuff about the glutes was, was like old science now. But Yeah. <laughs> you know, <I> <laughs> and I'll have to do what they do on like QI and go, well, back in episode yeah. 17, I said this and then someone's written in and now I need to correct it. <laughs> but until that happens it's all right 